Well, I do want to share with you a little bit about uh, Ethiopia, uh, if I can, and uh, wonderful that there's a, a picture come up there of Ethiopia. But before that, I thought I, I would uh, tell you a little bit about uh, my own experience so you can perhaps appreciate uh, where we've come from. Like my brother Richard, I, I was brought up in a Christian home, but it wasn't really till I uh, left, went to university to study that uh, I encountered God in, in a very real way, and, and the things that I knew in my head became real. And God gave me an, an assurance and a confidence, because before that, I, I was, if you'd asked me to stand up and speak in front of people, I, I, I would shake, I would be so nervous. But the Lord gave me, the Holy Spirit gives us boldness, doesn't he? And there's a transition from believing in your head to knowing. The Bible talks about believing in your heart, and that, that's a knowing. And uh, that, that happened to me, and uh, God gave me a confidence. And also at that time, I realized I hadn't really consulted God about what to do with my life. I'd made my own decisions, but I, I surrendered my life to the Lord in, in, in a new way. And it was then that he called me. And I, I realized that, that he'd got a wonderful plan for my life. And so looking back, I can only thank God for his grace and, and his mercy. And, and it's amazing that uh, I've been married for 42 years. And as Pastor Rob said, my wife Margaret is, is upstairs or downstairs with, with, with the children. And she does an amazing work. The young lady you were speaking to before was talking about creation and, and teaching that. Well, Margaret goes into our state schools and as part of the curriculum in the UK, it is still required to teach Christianity. And there is a course called Bible Explorer, which is part of the walk through the Bible ministries, which came from the USA, but it's been adapted for the top year of what we call primary school. Uh, I think you call it five to six here, but it's age 10, 11. And there will be five one-hour lessons going through the whole of the Old Testament, and then another five one-hour lessons going through the whole of the New Testament. They teach Genesis, they teach creation. I don't think the, the inspectors quite realize they're teaching creation because they don't in the secondary school, certainly. But it gives that age group a good foundation so that when they go to the secondary school, get bombarded with all kinds of ungodly teaching, they can refer back. That's the vision behind it. And they're always looking for more presenters. They train them to, to do this. And uh, it, it's, it's maybe something that can be done here. I know the director of it went to the USA and they asked him to share what, what he, he does in the UK. And he, he stood up and he said, oh, we have these two or three hundred uh, presenters that go into our state schools and, and they teach this. And, and the people were silent. And someone stood up and said, well, do you realize if we did that here, we, we might be arrested? And so things are, are, are getting more difficult. But we have to take the opportunities and go through these doors while we can. Well, I must uh, press on. I'm just going to try... I know you like, um, you like quizzes, don't you, and, and, and asking questions. Who's heard of Ethiopia? 
Two people, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> A few more, wonderful. Does anyone know how many times in the Bible Ethiopia is mentioned? I'll give you, uh, well, maybe I should explain. Sometimes Ethiopia is called Cush, and that refers to the same one of, uh, Noah had three sons, didn't he? And uh, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and I believe it was Ham's son was called Cush, is that right? And, and he went down to Africa. But uh, Ethiopia is mentioned quite a number of times. Who's, who said 20? A little bit low. A little low, yeah. It's actually over 60 times Ethiopia is mentioned in the Bible. And I've only, Margaret and I have only been to Ethiopia once. Uh, we've been to Nepal. I've been to Nepal, I think it's 25 times now. And we hope to be sharing with you on Monday night something of what God is doing there. But Ethiopia is a very special country. The man who invited us had been going there for over 52 years. He's, he's about 75 now. And he invited me to go and speak at a conference in Ethiopia about God's plan for Israel from the Bible. And I'll explain a bit more about that later. But did I tell you how many times Ethiopia is mentioned in the Bible? 60. Well done. Well done. Can anyone remember any incidents in the Bible that involve Ethiopians? Ethiopian eunuch, that, that's right. And uh, do you think he could have been Jewish? Because he came up to Jerusalem to worship. Do you remember Philip? It's interesting, my name's Philip, and I, and I call to Ethiopia. But Philip was... He had an unusual way of, of meeting this Ethiopian, didn't he? He was just suddenly transported there. And he found this Ethiopian reading passage from Isaiah. So he explained the gospel to him. He was baptized. And uh, presumably that Ethiopian went back to Ethiopia, didn't he? And of course, he wouldn't share the gospel with anyone, would he? <coughs> Obviously, yes, he, he would have taken the gospel. Psalm 68, verse 31 says... Ethiopia will stretch out her hands to God. Anyone remember Jeremiah, the prophet? He was thrown into a pit. Do you remember that? And if, if you remember that, somebody rescued him, and his name was Ebed Molech. And you know where he came from? Who said Ethiopia? <laughs> Have all the candies gone? <laughs> right. It's believed, it's not in the Bible, but uh, history tells us that the, the disciple, the apostle Matthew, also went to Ethiopia. So Ethiopia has an amazing history. My friend uh, who invited us there says it's a land of history, it's a land of mystery, and it's a land of destiny, and it has this link with uh, the Bible. And also, there's a whole lot of stories about the Queen of Sheba and King Solomon, 
Uh, the Queen of Sheba, Sheba, that area in, included Ethiopia, what we call Ethiopia. So she came from there. So in Ethiopia, there are today uh, approximately 25% evangelical Christians, which for someone like me coming from the UK is very high. Maybe it's not here, because I understand that there's a lot of people go to church here. But there's also 45% Orthodox Christians. That's Ethiopian Orthodox. Sadly, uh, the Orthodox have persecuted the Evangelicals. Uh, Ethiopia was under a communist government for about five years, and during that time, Christians, that was in the 1980s, I think, Christians were persecuted, and they've been persecuted by the Orthodox, but also they were persecuted by the uh, communist government that persecuted all Christians. But despite that, the church has grown. It's very interesting. One of the, the facts of history and the current day is that wherever the church, wherever Christians get persecuted, the church grows, which is an amazing thing. So can you see the, uh, that that's the map of uh, Ethiopia as I uh, mentioned, Ethiopia has a connection with Israel. I think that's the Israeli flag up there uh, on the wall. But uh, in Israel today, you might be interested to know, there are 150,000 Ethiopian Jews. And many of them were transported back to Israel in the 1980s. And today there is still a significant... Jewish population in Ethiopia, and they have been uh, holding to some form of Judaism for centuries. What is very significant in recent years is that there have been ministries, from, particularly from the USA, that have gone there, taken medical camps, and they have preached the gospel to these Jewish communities, and many of them have accepted Jesus. So we were privileged to go and visit in Ethiopia what uh, they call a Messianic Jewish congregation, which is, if you're not familiar with that term, Jews who have accepted Jesus and, and they, they worship. And of course, uh, everything becomes a whole lot more meaningful to them. But the, the Jewish population there has grown over the centuries but in recent years, more and more have been coming to the Lord. And so one reason we were invited to this conference was to bring together the, the Jewish believers in Jesus and the rest of the evangelical church, because they both were one in Christ. As Ephesians talks us, when a Jewish person finds Jesus, they become one with a Gentile who finds Jesus. But you can imagine, if you think about the history of Jewish people, many of them have been persecuted by so-called Christians. Uh, for example, I, I met a Jewish man in the town where, where we uh, have our church, and he told me that as a young person, he went to a, a Catholic school and the priest pointed at him and said, you are a Christ killer. And so many Jewish people have grown up with that understanding 
of Christians not being their friends, being ones who, who accuse them of having killed Christ, the Messiah. And we know from history, Hitler used that to incite anti-Semitism. So you can imagine if you then go to a, a Christian and say, oh, I want you to believe in Jesus, how they would respond. But praise God, in recent years, a lot of these barriers have come down and the hardness, the blindness is being taken away. I would like to read a scripture from Isaiah chapter 11 because it mentions Ethiopia. And then I will show you one or two of these pictures that we have. Isaiah chapter 11, if you want to turn with it, it's Isaiah 11 and verses 11 to 12. It says this, it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again the second time to discover the remnant of his people who are left from Assyria and Egypt, from Pathros and Cush, which is Ethiopia, from Elam and Shinar, from Hamat and the islands of the sea. He will set up a banner for the nations and will assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Well, for those who know biblical history, I think it was around 740 BC, the Assyrians scattered the northern kingdom of Israel at that time. And many of them assimilated, and they became uh, the Samaritans, who were really despised by the Pharisees in Jesus' time because they were a mixed race. And those uh, Assyrians uh, scattered, basically, the, the northern kingdoms of Israel, and they never, they never returned to the land. And around, I think it was 540 BC, uh, sometime later, Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, remember, he invaded uh, Judah, the southern kingdom, and destroyed the temple and carried away the Jewish captives. Uh, Daniel was one of them, and Ezekiel was there, and Esther was there, and, and they lived in Babylon. And Daniel, the prophet, had read Jeremiah's prophecy and had understood that that exile would only be for 70 years. And after 70 years, the Jewish people, 50,000 of them, not all of them, returned and they were able to rebuild the temple. You read about this in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. And they were able to celebrate Passover again and establish again the worship of the God of Israel in Jerusalem as God had decreed to them. But the point I'm making here is that when they returned, they only returned from Babylon. What I have just read to you says about the dispersed of Judah and Israel returning from the four corners of the earth. And that has happened and is happening in your lifetime and my lifetime. 
So we are living in days when the biblical prophecies are being fulfilled. And this was what we were speaking about in Ethiopia to the evangelical Christians. I don't know if you have <clears throat> something here called uh, replacement theology. Are you familiar with that term? In, in Britain, it is very widespread. And, and they basically take the view that Israel has no more significance in, in God's purposes. They're just like any other nation. And now it's the church that we got God's, as it were, uh, cancelled all his promises to Israel, including this one. And now everything is about the church. But this scripture tells us that the exiles of Judah will return from the four corners of the earth. And that has happened and is happening in our day. And that is such a wonderful thing because God made a covenant with Abraham and with Isaac and with Jacob and with their descendants. And that covenant is still valid today. Of course, we know the, the covenant with Moses, the Mosaic covenant. Yes, that has been replaced by the new covenant. But the covenant God made with the Jewish people is still valid today. And God has not forgotten his promises to the nation of Israel. And because of that, you and I can be confident he's not forgotten the promises he's made for you. Every promise he's made, we can uh, put our, our trust in. I'd like also to read another scripture from Romans chapter 11. To highlight the significance of Jewish people returning to the Lord in the context of, of, of world missions. Romans chapter 11 and verse 15. And this chapter, of course, begins with Paul saying, has God cast away his people, the Jewish people? And the answer is definitely not. And in Romans 11 verse 15, he says this, for if their being cast away is the reconciling of the world, so that's in the main the Jewish people did not uh, accept Jesus as the Messiah. And because of that, remember in the Acts of the Apostles, Paul had so much persecution from his own people, so he then took the gospel to the Gentiles so that you and I would hear about Jesus if they're being cast away, is the reconciling of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? So we can infer from that that when Jewish people return to finding Jesus as their Messiah and being born again, it's a very significant time in, in God's plan and God's purposes. So I want to show, let me try, can you see the map there? That is a conference of evangelical church leaders and messianic congregation leaders. And we were all together at this conference which had the title God's Plan 
and purpose for Israel. So I was sharing them in quite a lot more detail, some of the things I just said, and I went on to say about how Britain had a role in this, because around the turn of the 19th century, things started to happen in the Jewish communities, and there was persecution going on, and the evangelical church in Britain was quite strong at that time, and I understand the Prime Minister, who was a Welshman, David Lloyd George, he had half of his cabinet were evangelical Christians, and they all believed in the restoration of Israel. And when the First World War came, uh, Britain actually was in big trouble because the nation was running out of ammunition and they needed acetone to be able to make uh, gunpowder. And this was imported. And the German Navy were actually blockading a lot of imports. And the Foreign Secretary had a friend at Manchester University who was a scientist named Chaim Weizmann. Believe it or not, he was Jewish. He explained to him this problem, and Chaim Weizmann said, leave it with me, I will work day and night to solve this. And within a few weeks, he had discovered how to make acetone from uh, crops and uh, things which are grown in England. And so they were able to make acetone, and the whole tide of the war turned. And so the Prime Minister said to Chaim Weizmann, we, we have a tremendous debt to you. you. Basically, your invention has saved our nation. How can we repay you? Thinking he might want some money or, or whatever. And Chaim Weizmann said, I want nothing for myself. I want land, I want Palestine for my people. And at that time, Britain was not in a place to... Uh, give them Palestine, but he said, we will do what we can. At the end of the First World War, Britain uh, had been able to take over, uh, been able to uh, defeat the Turkish, the Ottoman Empire army in Jerusalem, and Britain was given the mandate for that area. And so they were able to fulfill their promise to allow the Jews to return in fulfillment of Scripture. Sadly, by the time the Second World War came, the Foreign Office, the government had changed, and they did everything they could to stop it. But they couldn't stop it because it was God's plan and God's purpose. So I want to emphasize today that we are living in very significant times. One of the signs of the end times in Matthew, is that the gospel will be preached throughout the earth. We have, we have more uh, ability through television, through radio, through literature, through the internet, to reach more people with the gospel than at any other time in history. At the end of this conference, the evangelical Christians wanted to uh, apologize to the Jewish uh, believers in Jesus because of the history 
The Jews in Ethiopia, I didn't mention this too much, but were really, have been persecuted. And they were only allowed to live in, in the most difficult areas. They were only allowed to have the most menial of jobs. And so many of the Jewish people have lived in poverty in Ethiopia. And that is one of the reasons why the, the, the missions that have gone there, that they've responded so well because they provided uh, medical camps for them and, and preached the gospel to them. But at the end of this conference, the, the evangelical leaders wanted uh, to apologize, not, not because they had bad feeling to the Jewish believers in Jesus, but they wanted to, uh, as like a, a symbol on behalf of the nation, they wanted to as it were, draw a line and, and acknowledge that we are one in Christ. We want to uh, apologize for what's gone on. We want to repent on behalf of our nation for the way you have been treated. And uh, at the end, that they did that. All the Jewish believers came forward, and it was just such a wonderful time. It was just like God's presence was just filling the gathering, and there was great joy and it was just wonderful to see the fulfillment of what Paul talks about. Those who are near and those who are afar off, we've become one in Christ. And of course, when that happens, we know that something amazing is also about to happen. And that scripture I read from Romans about how much more having... Uh, the Jews having rejected Christ has been a blessing for the Gentiles. How much more will we be blessed when, will the Gentile world be blessed when they accept Christ? And it says even life from the dead. Well, you could interpret that in different ways. Maybe it's to do with the coming of the Lord. I'm sure it is a sign. Israel in their land, Jews coming to know Jesus. I was also on OM. And I was uh, on OM when the first ship, the money for the first ship came in. So that was 1970-something, before I was married. And I worked in Israel on OM, went around knocking on doors. And at that time, there were only three, as far as I knew, uh, what we call Messianic Jewish congregations in the whole of the land. Now, I believe there's more than 100 and so there are many Jewish people coming to know Jesus. There's a, there's a lady, um, if you're from the UK and, and about my age, you will have heard of her. Her, her name is uh, Helen Shapiro. She was uh, one of these teenage pop singers in the 1960s, yeah. Jewish. And, um, but like many Jewish people, she was disillusioned with Judaism and she actually went into the occult. She was searching. One day she went into a bookstore and she picked up a book they weren't supposed to read called the New Testament. And she started at the beginning, like you do with most books, and read through the bit which most people skip over, the genealogy. And it was through that she came to accept Jesus as her saviour and messiah because she suddenly realised Jesus is Jewish. And she didn't know that before, which I find very sad that somehow the Christian church has, we've dissociated from our Jewish roots, such that it's made it hard for Jewish people to recognise that 
that we worship the God of Israel. That our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, he's, he's described in Revelation as the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Even in the New Jerusalem, the, the foundation of, of the walls are named after the 12 apostles. The 12 gates in the New Jerusalem are still named after the 12 tribes of Israel. So there's, there's something very wonderful here. And uh, I, I believe that the days we're living in are, are very significant. And we can know that, that we're getting closer to the coming of the Lord. And that phrase, life from the dead, well, that's the word we use for revival. And though in the Western world, things may seem hard, they certainly do in the UK, but, but when we go to Africa, when we go to Nepal and, and India, there's such a hunger to hear the gospel. And we've heard about China, what is it, 10,000 every day coming to Christ, which is wonderful. So we are living in very significant times. Can we pray together? Father, we thank you for this conference. We thank you for all that we're learning, all that we're discovering about just a small part of what you're doing in this world. We thank you that you so love the world, you gave your only son. We thank you that Jesus Christ is the only way, the truth, and the life, that no one can come to know him except through you. So, Father, we pray that we'll be more inspired and equipped and encouraged and filled with your Holy Spirit so we can be more effective and more fruitful for you. So bless this time and the remainder of this day. In Jesus' name, amen.